and welcome to Outside is Overrated. Today we are tackling anime. We're going to be talking about Cowboy Bebop, Princess Mononoke, and f- the first part of Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Joining me today are Hobbybox Burns. Hello. And Scott Bullard. How's it going? Welcome to the show, guys. What have you been up to since the last time you were on? Uh, I've done a lot of different things. So starting with the day after we... No, I'm just kidding. Uh, a couple of things that uh, I did finish The Outer Worlds. I don't think I had finished it yet by the time we talked last time. Uh, it was really enjoyable. I think the end of it, it... By the time it was getting to the end, I was like, okay, I'm ready for this to be done. And the other thing about it is... I call that Fallout 4 syndrome. Yeah, well, and the ending too is... Because it, it does sort of like the... Is it kind of like the 80s comedy movie thing where it gives you snippets of what happened to everybody afterwards sort of thing? Nice. And that just, it's somewhat fulfilling to see what happened with the characters afterwards, but it was also, I just think they could have done a little bit more with it to really make it memorable. Uh, All that being said, though, I still really enjoyed the game. It's still one of my top games of the year last year. One of or the? I, I can't say that it's the yet. Jesus Christ, Burns, we're a quarter of the way through 2020. What is the top game of 2019? We don't want to know. We're not quite a quarter of the way yet. Uh, at, I said by the end of the first quarter of the year, the by end of the March. By the time this show comes out, we'll be a quarter of the way through the year. Well, yeah, but then I haven't been there yet in my timeline. So. Oh, yeah, you can't see the future? <laughs> God damn it, Burns. Scotty, what have you been up to? Um, it's been I, over a year since you've been on, right? It was last year we did the show about creating a game. Was it that long ago? I thought it was earlier... I don't know, it's been several months at least. So yeah, it's been quite a while. Uh, so I played through all of uh, Marvel Spider-Man. Yes, really enjoyed. We're big fans of that game at this table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then just recently, I played through Ori in the Blind Forest, which I also really enjoyed too. I'm really glad that they brought that to Switch because I'm not much of an Xbox guy. But that game has one of the most beautiful and breathtaking opening sequences ever. And for a 2D platformer, like it was just astounding how they were able to pull on the heartstrings. Yeah, it's it really kind of had one of those Pixar intros, <laughs> and the animation for that is just beautiful. The hand-drawn, you know, sprites are, are just gorgeous to look at, too. You do something interesting with your gaming for the year. You're meticulous with your planning. How do you plan out the games that you're going to play this year, and what's left on your list for 2020? Uh, well, I do just that. I make a list. I have actually a written-down list of all the games that I plan to get around to eventually so march was supposed to be final fantasy 7 what are you going to do with yourself instead uh well i'm gonna try to get through resident evil 2 from last year uh i'm hoping i can do that within a month uh playing through both of leon and claire's playthroughs because i hear they're somewhat different Mm -hmm. and you know they kind of alter depending on which one you play first so i'd like to be able to get through both of those in about a month. I have a week off in the middle of March, so I think I can push through and get it nice. done. Now, did you or did you not take an entire week off from work to play Final Fantasy VII this month? I have the week off, but I didn't take it off specifically for that. I already mm-hmm. had it off, and the stars just aligned mm-hmm. until they decided to delay it, mm-hmm. and, you know, I'm kind of out of luck. Yeah. Do you guys actually think that game's coming out? Yes. Yeah. I I've, played the demo. Yeah, I played the demo, too. What are your thoughts on the demo? I mean, it looks amazing. I've seen the trailer. I haven't dove into the demo yet. I'm kind of waiting until it's actually physically in my hands. Mm -hmm. And I actually want to make sure my friends don't think the game sucks before I invest any time in it. But what are your thoughts on the demo? 
Yeah, I didn't want to play the demo because I kind of wanted to wait until I had the full experience myself too. But oh, I but thought... you dove into it because I told you. <laughs> yeah, but you told me to dive into it, so I played. Through yeah, it yeah, yeah, twice, he did not. Actually, and yet, yeah, and then I find out that you didn't. So you played uh, it twice. It's pretty good. Yeah, I actually played through it late. Friday night uh, after having a drink, a uh, very strong drink, and I was very tired, so I didn't, uh, I wasn't all there, so I went back, and uh, and the volume was very low on the TV, <laughs> my wife was sleeping on the couch next to me, so I figured that wasn't really giving the game a fair shake, so I, I played it again the next morning when I was wide awake, and uh, I, I really, really enjoy it so far. There are, it's, I'm, I'm always frustrated when I play a demo, because it's you know you want to when you start playing a game you want to invest in the characters and you know leveling up and being able to you know set up their equipment the way you like and in a demo you just can't do that you know that none of this means anything you're going to be done with the game in about half an hour yep. so real quick interjection octopath traveler had a cool thing where if you played the demo everything carried over you got to play like an hour of the game or so before it came oh, out as a nice. demo and then everything carried over yeah that's yep. really cool doesn't happen and, with this right and you know that's fine because it's, it's, it's like not, an hour. Yeah, it's, I mean, even less if you just kind of speed through it. Right. Again. But, uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to playing through it again. What later. section of but seven does the demo take you through? The very beginning of the game. Yeah. Or, well, the very beginning of the original Final Fantasy seven. Uh, the characters start at level seven. And yeah. so I don't know if maybe there's something before that in the actual game. I don't think so. I think that Cloud started at seven oh, in okay. the original game. Because I remember the first time I played it, I'm like, he's not level one, this bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I just started the original, and I'm playing through, I, that's another thing I should add. I'm playing through the original Final Fantasy VII again, and I don't actually remember what level he started as, uh, even though I started it like just a couple months ago. Do you play only as Cloud, or can you switch between characters? Is the party just Cloud and Barrett at that point? It's mostly Cloud, but at a certain point, they let you take control of Barrett too. Yeah. So no longer a JRPG. What does uh, what does it feel like moment to moment? So it, it, to me, it's like that next step up from Final Fantasy XV's combat. So fifteen, so you it has really a fifteen feel to it. Somewhat, uh, it, it's it's different. So you can lock onto things. Uh, different types of enemies, you need to switch between the characters in order to be able to attack them effectively. So there's certain things that only Barrett can reach because he can shoot a ranged weapon, and Cloud can't get to them except for with magic. It's there's a really interesting balance though between like once you fill up your AT bars or ATB bars determining what you want to do with that. Do you cast a spell? Do you use one of your special attacks like Braver, uh, or do you end up healing yourself? And then when is the right time to switch between the different characters? Uh, it gives you a lot of it does give you a lot of different ways that you can play the game depending upon what's more comfortable. So you can pause, like not pause it, but you can go into the menu, which really slows it down to select the abilities or the magic or the items that you want to cast. You could switch to the other character and then do their ability, or you could just tell them to do like one of their special abilities or special attacks. You also can do, they have macros that you can set. So you can just do like R2 plus circle and that'll do this, a certain special attack. So it's really kind of wide open as to how you want to play the game and what kind of pace you want to do it at. So, cause you could never slow down time and just constantly be doing the different, the different macros in order to do the different abilities. I think it's really interesting and it, it's, I think it's really fun. 
if somebody really, really, really likes the JRPG combat of it, That's it's going to take a while to get used to how this works. But supposedly they have a mode in it where you can play it more at that pace too. Uh, but I did not mess around to see if that was in the demo or not. I want this game to be good so bad. <clears throat> what is your guys' excitement level for this? Mine is very high. I really a 10 liked, out of 10? Uh, yeah, pretty close. I have a few very small complaints but like overall my excitement is through the roof for this game yeah i there you could already see in the demo that there's a few different things that they're changing up a little bit uh that adds some wrinkles to it uh some people have kind of argued if it's more of like a han shot first type of moment within the demo i'm not going to say it because i don't want to ruin it for you but there's some interesting choices they make and it'll be really cool to see how they how that kind of all develops as you go through this expanded first part of the game. Because this is what, really just the first 10 hours of Final Fantasy VII was what happened in Midgard. Think, yeah. And that's supposed to be like a 30, 40 hour game now. I think even less than that. Yeah. I, I got through Midgard. I mean, to be fair, I was playing it in, you know, triple time speed with the uh -huh. power booster on. But I got through it in about six hours. Yeah. Cheater. So it's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, I'm just I've played through the whole game before. I'm just going back for comparison's sake. Here's one of the things that gives me concern with this game. They're breaking up one of the most beloved games of all time into four or five different episodes. Each one of those is going to be a retail length. Hopefully less than that. <laughs> retail price game and supposedly full length game. Like mm -hmm. are we ever going to see the end of this game? Like if I'm going to commit to playing it, I want to, you know, get to oh god, why does Sephiroth chasing well, no spoilers, whatever. I'm, <laughs> I'm skeptical we'll ever see the end of this project. Well, I'm really curious and wondering how much of the the parts right after Midgar that they're actually going to bring in to Midgar because they show certain flashback scenes, not, not in the demo. They cut all that stuff out in the demo, but they've had trailers where they'll cut to a scene of Cloud and Tifa in, in Nibelheim, which you never actually normally get to until you get outside of Midgar. You go to the nearest town, Calm, mm -hmm. and your group kind of regroups there, and they go over the backstory and what you're doing and why you're chasing Sephiroth. And so I noticed that if they're going to kind of rebuild all of Nibelheim, they're probably going to pull in a little bit more of that in this. And so I, I'm, I think that they're kind of mixing and, like, cutting around different parts and kind of mixing them up. And so I wonder how much of that they're going to pull into this. So it it will all take place in Midgar, but I'm I'm really curious, you know, how faithful the order of events is going to be. Well, and it's really interesting because the, when you look at the what they what Square Enix calls the compilation of Final Fantasy VII, that's actually like three games and a movie. And so it will be really interesting to see: Do we get like Final Fantasy VII remake Crisis Core no. out of this? <laughs> um, d does the dirge of Cerberus stuff somehow get developed into a portion of one of these games as well? There's so many different directions that they could go in with how they go through this story, as well as to what extent do they maybe go into Advent Children as a playable game later on down the line? It it's just really intriguing as to how they can do that. The way that Yoshinori Katase keeps talking about it, who is the producer of the game, uh, he was, I think, one of the producers on the original version of Final Fantasy VII as well, Is it, he makes it sound like this is the rest of his career, is going to be continuing to make and complete like this entire remake of this. 
which makes it sound like it's going to be at least two or three more games over the next 10 to 15 years. Yeah, 10 to 15 years. How long did we wait for this? Well, I mean, it's one of those things, though, where if they don't have to do a lot of retooling of this of this engine for the next generation of systems, like they should be able to just kind of build assets on it as a separate game. I mean, there's still those question marks as to what carries over from the first game to the second game and so on and so forth. Is there any real progression that goes between the different versions of the games or not? Right. Kind of like how uh, Resident Evil 2 Mm -hmm. they made and then Resident Evil 3 is coming out like a year afterwards because they're very similar in, Mm -hmm. you know, how the engines work and and all they needed to do is kind of change up some assets and, and... you know, it, it's they can pump out the next one really quickly. Yeah. Well, and he said that the a large chunk of the team is already working on the next game, right? And Which I because they're so. really just because the game went gold, they're probably just working on the day one patch at this point, and there's not going to be any like post game DLC. One wouldn't think unless they're putting something in as a bridge to the next game. So I don't know. It, it should be really interesting to see what happens. I'm super excited, though. It's like 10 out of 10 for me. Uh, hopefully, it doesn't let me down. But the demo just kind of whetted my appetite a little bit more for it. Yeah, and I got to say, one thing that I really was disappointed in the demo for was it doesn't let you swap out your materia. Yeah. Because I just wanted to... But materia is back. Yes. Oh, yeah. Materia is definitely yeah, for back. For sure. And I just wanted to... Because they have... Uh, Cloud have the fire materia by mm-hmm. default, and Barrett has the lightning materia. And I just wanted to swap those because... Barrett is the more fiery character, and you know, <laughs> lightning comes from clouds, so it makes perfect sense. <laughs> I'm at like a seven out of ten for this game. If my friends are excited about it, that'll boost it tremendously for me. I completely railroaded our conversation. What else is on your list this year, Scott? Uh, uh as far as games to play, mm-hmm. um, Battle well, Chasers Nightwear Night War was on it. Yeah, yep. That's uh, I'll probably end up getting to that way late in the year <laughs> um also mario plus rabbits kingdom battle yes i enjoyed that game very much burns you played it too right yeah i did I, I got to like the third like section of it or whatever yeah that's really fun i definitely didn't want to start that this month because i didn't think i'd be able to finish it before final fantasy 7 came out well good stuff we like games yeah. yes if you like outside is overrated please thank our sponsor premier health Check out their website at premierhealthmn.com. That's premierhealthmn.com. You can follow all of us on social in various ways. You can email the show at overratedpod at gmail.com. That's overratedpod at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram, Tom Sidlochik OIO. No spaces, no underscores. That's Tom Sidlochik OIO. If you don't know how to spell my last name, well, I guess I should have branded better. You can also follow Joey at Hobbybox Burns on Twitter. Scott, anything you want to plug? Uh, no. <laughs> I don't call him the best color guy in the industry for nothing. You can also follow the oh, show. I guess pick up Psycho Squirrels. <laughs> yeah, buy Psycho Squirrels on Steam, on Google Play. Any other platforms? Uh, those, those are the big ones. It's free on Google Play. Make sure you watch those ads, though. That's how Scott gets compensated for his time. So please download it for free, check it out, and watch a whole bunch of the ads. You're welcome. (laughs) I'll see you on your yacht soon. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Our first topic today is a show my wife considers to be her favorite sci-fi show of all time. Cowboy Bebop follows bounty hunters Spike and Jet as they scratch out a living chasing bad guys across the galaxy. Scott, why did you choose Cowboy Bebop for this episode? I also want to note that Scott chose our topics for this show because I am not very well versed on anime at all, and I think you made some very interesting choices. Well, why Cowboy Bebop? 
And now I'm going to cut you off again. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, I the for all all of them that I picked today, uh, they're all ones that I've you know watched when I was much younger and kind of have an affinity for and. Uh, they were all kind of ones that were, well, I guess at least two out of the three were uh, ones that they were really some of the only anime that was in America at the time because uh, I, I started watching in the late 90s and early 2000s. So you you couldn't really pick and choose, you know, it was just kind of starting to become popular over here. So Cowboy Bebop uh, was on Adult Swim. It was you know, I mean, I guess they had some more, uh, I don't know, I guess you'd call them like Saturday morning cartoony animes mm-hmm. on, like Dragon Ball Z yep. and, and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, as and those can be really deep and tell good stories too, but Cowboy Bebop, I think, was one of the first really adult-themed anime. And, so, you know, hence they put it on Adult Swim. Mm-hmm. And uh, it it was just very different from anything else that came out at that time. That's awesome. Thinking about kids today and millennials, like everything is streaming now. Like they're not going to know what like Adult Swim is on. It was Saturday nights, right? On Cartoon Network. Yeah, or just weeknights. I think just yeah. That's right. Like after nine o'clock on Cartoon Network, and like now with streaming, like they're going to have to find shows like this in some other way. It's just interesting that such a part of our cultural upbringing. Right. Like I associate Adult Swim with college. Well, and I'd completely forgotten about Adult Swim until we had board game night, and Lance had put. Uh, Cartoon Network on the TV in the room and we were sitting there afterwards just chatting and I was like oh yeah this is Adult Swim because they had the little like text on the screen coming up saying the things I was like gosh it's been a long time since I've seen this yeah 15 years dude Burns what was your history with Bebop Uh, Cowboy Bebop was one of I never really watched a lot of Adult Swim but I got into anime and started buying collections on DVD uh, from Suncoast before it closed in Rochester, Minnesota Yeah, Mm -hmm. and uh, so I really got into that. Cowboy Bebop's definitely in my top five of all time and for reasons that we'll get into uh, as we go through here but I, I love Cowboy Bebop a lot Cowboy Bebop came out in 1998. In terms of video games, I firmly believe in the Barney Stinson mantra that new is always better. How does Bebop hold up going back to it today? I think it holds up very well. Uh, there are some things. I watched it a few months ago, uh, and which before that I hadn't watched it for several years. But definitely the pacing feels very different from stuff that's out right now. Uh, the episodes being so short and they try to... It's, it's really kind of weird because they try to cram in a lot of storytelling within, you know, a 22-minute episode. That's dense. Yeah, it's very dense. and they But they, they also like to kind of take their time and focus on, you know, dramatic pauses and really let the moment soak in at times. So it's, it's very weird, like, going back to it now. But as far as a watchable, enjoyable show, it definitely holds up. Yeah. So and I don't know if my attention span has maybe changed. I don't know if my attention span could have gotten worse. But I suppose with a cell phone and having so many different random things that I'm able to like jump into in my head. But that's one thing that I, I noticed is it was I found it difficult while I was watching through episodes to stay focused on it. I don't know why that was. And I think, yeah, that non-traditional structure 
we're so used to how Netflix and everything has made shows now to just be bingeable and like episode, 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 episode. And I think like you were saying, there's so much going on in each episode. It almost is like the complete opposite of that. We're trying to watch multiple episodes in a row. It's almost like an undertaking to do that because there's so much going on and so much to take in. I think the also the really interesting thing is there's a lot of watching through bits of it again now. There's a lot of corollaries to Firefly in it in that they're doing similar types of things because Mal and them were kind of like bounty hunters, only they were more so after like goods as opposed to people. See a space cowboy. Yeah. And so but I think that the interesting thing is for Firefly also, there were some bits that were connecting over arcs of episodes, but each episode was its own like, this is the thing we're doing this episode. And that's what Cowboy Bebop does a lot. The one thing I found is that there are certain episodes that really like drew me in and caught me really well. I think it was episode five, the first time that you meet Vicious mm-hmm. and are going through that. Like that drew me in a lot. And I that episode was supremely impactful. And then Probably I felt the best episode in the yeah, series. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> the scene with Spike falling through the plate glass yes, window and yes. falling towards the earth and his, slow his motion. and his life flashing before his eyes and everything like that. Like that's just amazing. And then it was like the next couple episodes were were okay. And then when Ed comes back when Ed comes into play, like that episode like drew me back in. So that was the one thing I found was that I don't remember from when I first watched it, probably because I was a kid and it was just like, oh, this is so cool. Look at him like Whoa, fly around and do the kick. <laughs> I'm Spike. And, yeah, exactly. You know? Really, you're more like Roku. <laughs> what? Yeah, dude that latches on to Spike and wants to learn how to fight and he still had to save his blind oh, sister. Yeah. I think his name is Raku or Roku. something like that. Yeah. yeah, I all I could think of was like the streaming device. Yeah, yeah that's no, what I thought of too. <laughs> you are a streaming device, Burns. I, I guess I am. Yeah, um, we'll plug you in and you want you want to play with my Bluetooth dongle every day. <laughs> Going back to my question, how does it hold up? I think it holds up all right. I think one of the reasons that old games always suck is because technology is always advancing so much in video games. And, like, there's so much engineering behind the scenes. TV doesn't really have that limitation. Like, you're telling a story, you have your medium, and, like, whether you're animating or CGI, like, I don't think the technology is really just flying <coughs> forward at the speed of light, like, games. Yeah. Yeah, I'm smart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's <clears throat> definitely... It has a different feel than some modern animes now because a lot of them use a lot more uh, computer-generated effects. Mm-hmm. Like and Castlevania? This, uh, yeah, like Castlevania. Yeah, we're um, going to talk about that in the future. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this having the hand-drawn art style really gives it a different feel, a, a much older feel, but it, it gives it a lot of character too. Mm-hmm. And that tied in with some of the music, which I think is is really just incredible in this show my wife has tank the theme song mm-hmm. is her ringtone yeah nice. yes, yes yeah the, the music is amazing i mean i'm not a jazz aficionado in any way shape or form but the music ties into the bits and pieces of the episode so integrally and i know they tried the same thing with samurai champloo later mm-hmm. on and it just maybe it's just because hip-hop to me isn't as interesting as jazz is but it's just so integral to every moment of that. And I think some other anime did that to some extent, uh, like Trigun. I think that soundtrack compared to what was going on on the screen yeah, was really interesting. A lot of the steel guitar. Yeah. And Western feel. But this was just the stylistic of the jazz. And then the way they drew the art style, like Spike's combat 
is jazz. Hmm. And the way that that goes with the, the soundtrack is so interesting. This well, from the streaming device. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, also... It, it really kind of fits the setting of the show, too. Mm-hmm. And maybe we should kind of actually talk about the show itself and <laughs> <laughs> explain what it is. Uh, so it, it takes place in space, mostly, mm-hmm. in, in the solar system around Earth, because uh, it's, it's the year 2071, and uh, an astral gate, which is kind of like a space portal uh, on the moon, exploded and kind of made the earth uninhabitable so everyone on earth needed to kind of take off and go venture into the solar system and they hadn't really set up any kind of established government or law system i mean they do kind of have a a space police force but it's not anything really established yet so it's kind of like the wild west Mm -hmm. in space though you know that is an excellent summation (laughs) thank you so there's a lot of bounty hunters out yeah, Chasing it's, people. yeah, right, right. So, so you follow around uh, Spike, Jet, Faye, and Ed, kind mm-hmm. of more the main four characters, and they're bounty hunters, mm-hmm. and they just kind of travel around chasing bounties, they're trying to scrape by to make a living, and they're not very successful most no, of the time. No, <laughs> very rarely actually. Yeah, the end of the episodes almost always <laughs> end up with them trying to find something in the cupboard to eat because they they didn't win their big bounty that they were going for. I I do find it interesting the way that you pick up characters slowly and it's not until almost halfway through the series that you actually have all of the main characters finally assembled because you don't get Ed until episode 8, 9, 10, I think it is. Yeah, comes in really late. Yeah, and and, and I don't know. I I thought that was interesting too. Um, and, And you... The way that they sort of bring out the pieces of the backstory as it goes through is also really well done. Uh, but I think that's something that millennials today would be like, you know, <laughs> you know, just just do the stuff on the screen, you know, do be yeah. more action, spike more kicking. <laughs> yeah, be like water. What other elements of the show stand out? You you both have a strong affinity for the show. We talked a little bit about the music. Do you want to expand on that at all? Or do we cover it? I think we cover the music fairly well. Uh, I think the characters are all really cool and iconic looking. They each have a really good style to it. I think the voice acting is really was for when this came out. It's not like over the top like a lot of anime was back then. I think there was a lot of more grounded pieces to it, Uh, and I think they they do a pretty good job of kind of balancing in between more serious things and then more comedic types of things. So sort of like that vicious, that first vicious episode, it's like heavy, like heavy, heavy. And then it all just wraps up with this joke that Spike says to Faye and she starts beating him up while he's in a full body (laughs) cast. I mean, it's so it does a really good job of that too, I think, and kind of keep you grounded that he really is kind of a goofball, even though he's had, he's been through some serious shit, just like a a lot of the characters in that show have been. Yeah. They, uh, like overall, the series does have like a main through storyline, but it's really not touched on that much. There's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like spike. It, it kind of follows mainly spikes backstory, which he's a, an ex mafia hitman who kind of, you know, fell in love with the same woman as a guy who, he used to be good friends with that vicious yeah. that uh, took over the mafia. He basically threw a coup and took over. And uh, so they're not on good terms and it kind of goes into their uh, rivalry. And 
that's it's touched on here and there in a few episodes but for the most part each episode is kind of its own self-contained thing and they show elements of each character's backstory and where they came from and how how their pasts affect them it's really really it focuses a lot on how each character's pasts shape who they are because all of them well except for ed who's basically a kid still Mm -hmm. they they have these really kind of sad tragic backstories that kind of have a a, you know old western feel or a noir feel Mm -hmm. like jet definitely feels like a noir character he's the the uh ex-cop who you know he was the only good cop in a in a corrupt system and so he's you know fighting against his old partner and has an old flame and stuff like that Mm -hmm. he's Um, kind of the leader of the crew even though spike's the star of the show yeah well he kind of owns the ship so he calls the shots but yeah it did the story more focuses on spike it's good stuff. Any other thoughts on Cowboy Bebop before so, we move on? Well, I'm curious, even though it's on filming hiatus now, but I'm really curious how the live action Cowboy Bebop series that Netflix is making is going to be and how it can do these things. I guess it's probably hard to do it when your main character breaks his leg and you have to pause filming for eight months. Yeah. Um, Who did they cast as Spike again? John Cho. Uh, he's uh, Harold from Harold and Kumar. Oh God, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I could see it though because he can. He's done he's a, some serious things yeah, too. Oh, yeah, he's a really good actor. Uh, I just live action animes. I don't think they've done a good job of them yet. <laughs> I, I haven't seen one that I think has and especially been off well, especially an anime that was this stylized. Right, but I could see them being able to do the combat in a way that sort of emulates the original series a lot. I don't know. I'm really curious. It's probably going to be bad, but I'm really curious to see how it can turn out. Yeah, yeah. I don't have a lot of faith, but I fingers crossed. My hopes are high. I want it to turn out Mm -hmm. good. You know, you want everything to turn out good. Yeah. Yeah. People work hard on things. Right. We'll see. Moving on to our next segment, we actually have listener emails that have come in over the last five, six months or so. I always complain that nobody writes in. These are actual emails that people wrote in. I didn't make up any of these. So here we go from Billy Parrott, a Patreon supporter. Thank you very much for your support, Billy. His comment, Mr. Awesome, I'm an avid fan of Final Fantasy and just read the article on 15 and your experience. Since you'd love to do top lists on the podcast, I'm curious as to what your top five Final Fantasy games are of the entire franchise and why. Love the podcast. Keep up the awesome work. This might have been more timely before last. (laughs) (laughs) But just to recap, I believe my top five were 7, 15, no, 7, 12, 15, maybe uh, 9, 8. No, 10 was in the top five. Basically, I like the newer ones better than the old ones, with the exception of Final Fantasy VII, which I have a healthy nostalgia for. What do you guys think? Well, I think last episode I did a good job of encapsulating my thoughts. I'm curious, Scott, have you played... Uh, you've obviously played 7. You've played a lot of the Final Fantasies? Yeah, I've played almost all of the mainline ones except for 2 and 3. Okay. Like, like the Japanese yeah, 2 yeah, yeah. and 3. Uh, I know, by the way, I thought you guys' episode last week on... Or last month on Final Fantasy was fantastic. Oh, nice. Thank you. Uh, Thanks. Yeah, so I liked... Uh, Final Fantasy 7 is my favorite, but it's really close with Final Fantasy 6. Mm-hmm. Uh, I played a lot of the SNES ones first, yeah. so or I guess the, the two SNES ones first, so obviously those are, are big in my memory. But yeah, I also really liked 10, and 15 was 
was absolutely great. Yeah, I loved it too. Yeah, uh, and twelve was was would probably be my number five. I wasn't listening at all, so I hope you had a good answer. <laughs> he did, he did, he did. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you, Scott. Mike Mathwig wrote in on December 15th of last year. This is going back a little ways. Oyo, I quite enjoyed your discussion of the first books in the Harry Potter and Harry Dresden series. That was the Harry Wizard show I did with Phoenix. I hope you plan on doing more of such podcasts in the future. We would certainly love to. I did want to mention that one factor that heavily influenced the Harry Potter series was the British tradition of children's boarding school fiction, which has a long tradition dating back to Tom Brown's school days in 1857. There's a lot of subtext that is evocative to British readers that we American readers don't pick up on. It's something to consider as you read the later books. As for Mr. Jordan, I feel like you covered things pretty well. I would suggest another series that meshes semi-noir detective fiction with fantasy in the Garrett P.I. series by Glenn Cook. Either of you guys ever heard of that? No, I haven't. That sounds interesting, though. Thought it sounded great. And the the fact that they're... I mean, that's a very British thing to have boarding school fiction be a like genre that was popular at some point. <laughs> <laughs> and I had no idea. Thank you for writing in, Mike. That is very interesting. Uh-oh, where'd my last emails go? Joey, stall. Say something interesting. So I've been watching a lot of Final Fantasy One speedruns, and there's actually been since our last episode a breakthrough in the Final Fantasy One speedrunning community, where they figured out how to manipulate the RNG in the game so that you can get the best attacks against things and mitigate the most damage to you. And so they've been able to cut like 45 minutes off of the sort of vanilla plane speedrun. Uh, with the manipulation percentage, and they've been finding new routes back and forth between two of the streamers, NES Cardinality, and then uh, the other guy's name is Fred something. Uh, F. Kaufman, that's what it is. Or F. Coughlin. And so it's been really interesting seeing that. The new one is down to two hours and 25 minutes oh, to God. play through Final Fantasy One. I. I was sick the other weekend, and so I picked up the Vita, and I started playing a little bit of one. It took me about two and a half hours to get through Mount Gulag, the yeah. stupid fire mountain. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that people can beat that entire game that amount of time is just it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. From the Rogue Hippo, Dear Tom Awesome, I live on a solar-powered sailboat with no internet, no television, and limited electricity. What is the best portable video gaming option in your opinion? Your number one fan, Patrick from Florida. Uh, thought number one, move to Minnesota. <laughs> but the, the question here is pretty interesting. Like The Switch is an amazing handheld system, and I love my Switch, and it's probably my favorite console right now. But with limited electricity limited battery life, I'm inclined to say the Vita because you can still get all of Final Fantasy and Persona 4 Golden. What do you guys think for the best handheld options? Scott, you're not much of a handheld gamer, correct? No, not really. Uh, first of all, I don't think a solar-powered boat would fare very well in Minnesota, though. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, sink the boat, collect an insurance check, and get on back here. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, I, I usually am not really a big handheld guy. I kind of, I guess you could say the Switch is a good compromise. Any handheld game that I would play would be on the Switch, or I guess I did kind of use the Wii U a little bit as a handheld console, but most of the time I just kind of wait for ports to come to a, a you know, main console. Thank you for your <laughs> strong take, I, Joey. Uh, I guess I don't know what Vitas go for nowadays. Uh, I mean, the 3DS has a lot of awesome games on it, too. Like, I never true. got super invested in because it just wasn't immersive enough for me, but I have a lot of respect for the game library on the 3DS. Yeah, so I would say if you're really interested in playing like the old Final Fantasies and those JRPGs like that, 
The Vita would probably be the way to go. If you want more modern games, some of the new releases, if you want the ability to buy some of those, then I would go with the Switch. Yeah, and just buy like a million battery chargers to plug it in every three hours. Yeah, I mean, he has obviously some electricity through parts of the day. So. Yeah, just <laughs> turn off your refrigerator and plug the Switch in all the time. It's yeah. perfect. I think bottom line, just get a Switch. Yeah, sell the boat, move to Minnesota, get a Switch. Yeah, see, that's perfect. You've planned out the rest of Pat's life. Perfect. (laughs) You're welcome, Patrick. The next email also comes from Rogue Hippo. Joey, you play some tabletop games. Scott, do you play any tabletop role-playing games? No, not at all. This segment is going to be just horrible (laughs) for you. Dearest Tom, how do you overcome the guilt from all the D&D characters you killed? I need help getting some closure and moving on. Signed, Perpetually Level 1. <laughs> Joey, your initial thoughts? So... I mean, this is personal for me, but we'll get into it in a moment. Yeah. I guess it's... You just got to think about it from the perspective of if they've only made it to level one, you really shouldn't have gotten too attached to those characters. Uh, it's, yeah, it's not being such a baby. <laughs> it's it's once the characters, because I've had a few times in the D&D campaign I've been playing in for the last year and a half where my, my character has died six times. They've been able to resurrect him every single time. But there was a couple of them where I thought it wasn't going to happen. Uh, and, and so you really just have to come to grips that death in RPGs is a part of life in RPGs and at some point that's just the the ending of your character has to happen at some point and as long as you make the death as memorable as possible it's worth it this question has a lot of history for me <laughs> so my f- high school friends and I got into D&D about junior senior year of high school for me and I uh, was the most motivated so I became the DM and I set up a campaign and I didn't want to do something someone else had created so I created my own world and I started fucking with the <clears throat> rules and uh Oh, man, I was such a rules Nazi. Like, I was so into the semantics of everything, it drove my friends crazy. And, like, <laughs> they, the original campaign, they die, and someone would rescue them, and they just wake up without any of their money. And they got really pissed at the NPC who kept swooping in to save them. But there was one instance that, uh, <laughs> this is probably the worst I've done in DMing, but it was Pat and AJ and Dan playing in a campaign together. And uh, Dan went to sleep. And AJ was keeping watch, and I forget what Pat was doing. Like, AJ was hidden, and uh, maybe Pat was asleep, too. AJ had the first watch. And uh, he sees this monster sneaking up to the camp. I'm like, all right, what do you do? He's like, I watch it. I'm like, all right. It goes up. It stabs Dan. (laughs) (laughs) Roll the damage. Critical hit. Dan is dead. (laughs) Pat's, like, not sleeping in his armor, so he's, like, trying to get his shit on. And AJ's like, well, I'm just going to hide in my tree. (laughs) I'm going to keep watching. And so Pat died, too. And that, uh... (laughs) So AJ survived, Pat and Dan had to make new characters, and they never really let me live it down. So the traditional DMing for tabletop RPGs, the equivalent would be in video game RPGs, you would say it would be like The Witcher or Final Fantasy or Dragon Age or things like that. But your RPGs would be Dark Souls, Bloodborne. Like These are like the toughest nails. Hey, get good at RPGing, otherwise your character's fucked type of thing, right? Fucking A, dude. <laughs> Well, for me, tabletop games are so immersive. Like, I want everyone to be sucked in. Like, nothing mm-hmm. annoys me more than, like, metagame thinking and, like, watching yes. TV during a session. Like, we only, we've always only had limited time for gaming. Like, when it's D&D time, it is D&D time. Mm-hmm. You bring your dice and you come to play. No, I agree with that. Uh, I, that's, and that's why I prefer playing around a table as opposed to online, uh, which is kind of why our, the game that I was DMing last has been on hiatus for so long was because... One of the guys just doesn't isn't able to make it in. He wants to move it online. I'm like, I'm not doing it online. So we just haven't played. <laughs> <laughs> the last thing I'll say, I made some mistakes as a DM. I'm sorry to those friends. You know, I hope you had a good time with the times that we did have together. Pat, move back and we'll play some more D&D. Next up, 
Also from Rogue Hippo. This is our last email of the segment. I saved the best for last, guys. Scott, I think you can get into this one with us. Okay. Uh, dear Mr. and Mrs. Awesome, I guess, Joey, you're my second wife, so that defaults to you in this. I guess that works. <laughs> and Scotty is our illegitimate love child. Oh, I was wondering Conceived if you were going to make me a mistress. Oh. Ooh. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Well, Think about it. I've heard you had some... <laughs> Rogue Hippo writes, I've heard you've had some acting experience. I would like to hear the two of you act out a short romance scene from your favorite fan fiction. Or fan fiction. Ha 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 ha. Get it? <laughs> okay, I'm not sure I want to be a part of this <laughs> Maybe a Harry Potter and Hermione love scene, or perhaps you could write a custom scene for the Patreon fans. I'd pay for that. Signed, Horny for Hogwarts. <laughs> All right, so uh, let's think about some roles here. I'm going to be a dude. Well, I'm, I'm the dudette, apparently, and then yeah. this is the mistress. And so yeah. let's say that I, I'm in the ER with complications with pregnancy, and then all of a sudden she walks in or he walks in. or I don't know. I don't even know who the hell this is. But, I mean, who this is, is this, Tom? This is fan fiction. <laughs> like, I need to know who I am. Like, Let's say you're a Nathan Drake-type character. Yeah. So you're an explorer. Yeah. You've been around the world. This is somebody yeah. that you've So you're met. Elena and you're Chloe. Well, yes. I mean, we don't have to be yeah. those specific characters. I guess we could be, though. Um, and so I, I hey, like, hey, severely hey, shattered Elena. my ankle. Sup? You make my baby yet? You push my baby out into the world? I'm working on it. Yeah. Push. Breathe. Breathe. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, sup, Chloe? What are you doing here? I'm just waiting for the part where we play some Crash Bandicoot. <laughs> and scene there you go horny from hogwarts i hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> thank you to everyone who has written in to outside is overrated at overratedpod at gmail.com that is overratedpod at gmail.com with two r's we appreciate the emails and now as i switch back to our show notes we are going to talk about a movie now princess mononoke joey you didn't watch this so Thanks for your outstanding prep work for this show. You can hang your head in shame. We're not even on Facebook Live anymore, so like nobody can see it. So I don't know. You can take a nap, have a cookie. Scott and I are going to talk about Princess Mononoke. Now, this is a kind of a complex like narrative, so I'm going to do my best to summarize it, Scott. You can clean it up with whatever I miss. But Princess Mononoke is about a young prince's journey. I can't remember his name. Ishtara, Ishikawa. Ish- Ashitaka. Ashitaka. I, yeah. You know, I had a fair number of vowels in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ashitaka opens the movie by fighting a demon. The demon touches him and it creates a curse on his arm. So he's exiled from his village and he goes on a pilgrimage to find the great forest spirit to try to lift the curse. Along the way, he gets tangled up with a village that is destroying the forest in the name of progress and some hunters who are attempting to kill the great forest spirit at the whim of the emperor who is seeking immortality. Did I miss anything? Uh, no, as a starting point, I think that's pretty good. Excellent. Summarization. So why do we choose this film for this episode? Uh, well, one of the reasons is because you had not seen a whole lot of anime, and so I wanted to pick something short that you'd be able to fit in and watch before we uh, had a conversation about it. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. No, you should have said the first three seasons of DBZ. Right? Uh, right, yeah. yeah. You have you have 30 hours to watch this, this stuff, right? Yeah. We watched 10 goddamn Star Wars movies to prepare for the Skywalker <laughs> saga. And I love Star Wars, but man, that was a chore trying to fit in 10 movies over like a month and a half of prep time. <laughs> yeah, but so another reason that I picked this was because, again, it was another one of those uh, early animes that came out. It was uh, the biggest 
release in well in japan it was it was a top grossing movie for quite a while yeah it was the top grossing movie of all time when it came out in 1997 that's crazy i was aware of princess mononoke before this i just hadn't seen it the only uh miyazaki movie i had seen was spirited away yeah which is another favorite of mine what were both of your histories with miyazaki and studio ghibli before today uh, I think, or before today. <laughs> <laughs> Which movies have you seen? Okay. Uh, well, Princess Mononoke, of course, and then Spirited Away, uh, uh, Howl's Moving Castle, uh, Nausicaa and the Valley of the Wind, mm-hmm. uh, Ponyo. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's any I'm forgetting. But, My name you know, is Totoro? Uh, uh, no, that's one that I still have not seen. Uh-huh. I'd, I'd like to see that eventually, but. So you would say you have a pretty broad history with his films. Yeah, not not all of them, but I've I've watched quite a few. And Burnsy? I have not seen a single Studio Ghibli anime movie, which is weird because like those were super popular even when I watched anime like back in the late 90s, early 2000s, and I just I just never was able to watch them. And I think recently I've had a compulsion to, but because it's not really available on anything streaming really reliably yet. Yeah, I've had to buy DVDs to yeah. watch. Yeah, to and so... I got it from the library. Yeah, and so it's one of those things that's going to be on HBO Max when they release that later this spring. I think May is when that's supposed to be released, and that's what all of the Studio Ghibli movies are going to be on. And so at that point, I'm looking forward to getting that and watching through quite a few of them, but I haven't watched any of them. So I guess my question would be, what would be the best one to start with? Do I start with what is arguably his most known one, which is Spirited Away? Or do I start with one of the more earlier ones like My Neighbor Totoro or Princess Mononoke in order to kind of build up to that? Like, what would you recommend? I have less experience, so I'll start. (laughs) I would say Spirited Away, which I actually saw in the theater twice, both times with my friend Eric. The second time we brought a girl to it and we didn't like tell her what we were going to see. And it started, she's like, it's a cartoon. (laughs) You guys brought me to a cartoon. What is wrong with you? You said, yeah, and? Yeah, <laughs> and? What's wrong with cartoons? <laughs> uh, yeah, as far as a starting point, I'm not I'm not totally sure because each one of his movies are very, well, I mean, they, so they share similar themes, but they're very unique in, mm-hmm. in I don't know, just what they are. Yeah. Pick one. Uh, yeah, I, no, I think Spirited Away is, is probably a good starting point, uh, but I, I don't really think that there's a bad starting okay. point either because, you know, none of them really have anything to do with each other. Right. We mentioned that when this movie came out, it set box office records in Japan. Could we ever see an animated film coming close to that success in the U.S.? I don't think so. It, it did actually have the number one animated movie spot in the U.S., but since animated movies just really aren't a big thing here like they are in Japan. I don't think it uh, is, you know, any, well, there's always a first time for everything. And maybe someday some animated movie will come out and take the number one spot. But I just don't think that it has the same pull here as it does in Japan. Yeah. I mean, we're such a big country. Like I could see the potential for it, but it just doesn't seem likely to me. Well, and there's, I think because, so many movies have been so huge here box office wise it's a higher bar to try to get to uh, i also think that the like movie going audiences in america and a lot of the other places globally are very different than japan uh, and japan's like connection to anime it's not you know it, there's there's a little bit more of an interplay with that in their culture than it is with us and our culture so it's it's always going to be something that's a little more niche 
here, or it's going to be something that's viewed as being for kids. I think something like Spider-Verse 2, though, building off of the success, which Spider-Verse made $345 million at the box office. And like, it was awesome. And it was awesome. Like Something like that could do that, especially if there's a bit more of a lull between Marvel and like actual MCU movies not going to happen. Well, they're already we've already kind Between of been like in one a little phase bit. Phase 3, four, phase 4. Yeah, and and so and since they're not going to be as interconnected as they used to be too, like there's a possibility that that could jump up there. It won't beat the box office success that Endgame or Infinity War had, but it it could possibly get up there uh, closer to a billion dollars. I don't think it would ever make a billion, but at box office, but we'll, we'll have to see, I guess. Yeah, I just kind of thought of something, bringing it back to you were trying to figure out where to watch some of the Ghibli mm-hmm. movies. Why isn't there a Studio Ghibli section on Disney Plus? It's owned by Disney. Huh, that is an excellent question. It's, it's one of their like branches, one of the many things that Disney <laughs> has bought and taken over. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I'm like, why isn't there a Studio Ghibli section? I, I suppose maybe it was more lucrative for them to... Well, I'm sure it's not a priority. Maybe they'll get them up there eventually. And but... it might have been more lucrative to sell the rights to it because they were able to sell it to Netflix everywhere outside of North America and then HBO Max in North America. So they probably got paid so much by Netflix and HBO for the rights to it that it probably makes them more money than putting it on Disney Plus and maybe gains them a few extra subscribers, you know? Mm. Uh, that could be what it was. Uh, and maybe that was in the works before all the conglomeration of Disney plus two, it's, I guess it's hard to tell from a corporate standpoint. Yeah. Real quick aside, who owns the movie rights to psycho squirrels? Uh, I do. Let's, <laughs> let's develop something and I sell guess. that S to Disney dude. Okay. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on board. Yeah. We're going to be so out. rich. Yeah. <laughs> so will I in a heartbeat. What were some of the most intriguing elements of princess Mononoke for you? Was it story characters, music? What is it that resonates so much with you? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's no, interesting. This I movie. Think... Oh, go ahead. Oh no. I was just gonna say, yeah, I think, I think all of them, I think it had great characters, uh, which, you know, ties directly into the story and, uh, you know, the animation the music, it was all done extremely well. I thought the animation was awesome. The story didn't really grab me. I don't know what it was. I didn't like the prince very much. Like, I thought he was just generic good guy number one. He was a little bit dry as far as, you know, main protagonists go. I thought some of the other characters are super interesting, though. Like the wolf princess, she was yeah. awesome. And I think uh, that's where a lot of the strength lies is in the side characters. And him being, he's he's kind of supposed to be a neutral character. I guess we kind of, well, yeah, you did set up this, the plot for this. Uh, he's He's kind of, between two two warring groups and trying to kind of bring a stop to the war. Yeah, essentially the demon that cursed him was created because Irontown shot and killed this giant boar and the boar's rage turned it into a demon and then it came and went to kill the prince's village and he stopped it. Right, so so yeah, in, in his journey, he's, he's, uh, he finds this Irontown, which they're digging up sections of the forest that uh, are inhabited by not only animals, but these spirits or gods. And they, you know, they're not happy, of course, with their forest being dug up. So they they attack the, the village, and the village is wondering, why are these animals attacking us? And so they go out and they try and slaughter a bunch of these animals. And neither side is really, you know, listening to the other. And 
that sounds kind of weird because one side is animals, but there are gods in there and they mm-hmm. can talk so they can talk yeah. to people. So uh, it's, it's really a like no side is really the good guy or the bad guy. And they do a good job of showing that, which a lot of times in in movies that have kind of an environmental message which this one most definitely does it's you know cutting down the forest is a very bad thing and Mm -hmm. uh they they tend to show the humans as the definite bad guys you know like they're they're awful they're destroying the planet and in this one it's not so black and white yeah it's not so clear uh, because these people are, they're good people and they, uh, they're just trying to make a living too. Like <clears throat> their iron ore is cashed out like directly under iron town. And so they needed to expand their reach. And unfortunately that encroached on the forest. So progress versus preservation. Right. And like they, for a long time, their village was not doing so well until Lady Eboshi, kind of the, the leader of iron town, uh, came in and took over and she, She's, you know, made all these rifles so that they could fight off these animals and expand into the forest and and start uh, bolstering their iron supply. And she she did a lot for the people of the village. Like she she gave women a lot of jobs there. And Not just kind of, women, but like brothel workers. She took in. I thought she was one of the most interesting characters. Absolutely, because she was very empowering. She uh, she yes, was one of the main antagonists, everyone. but she also empowered castoffs from civilization, including brothel workers. She had lepers working inside of her. Yeah, she community. gave lepers jobs, and you know, kind of gave them them some value and meaning in their life when so, everyone else just kind of pushed them out. So on the one hand, she brings in the downtrodden and uh, castoffs of civilization, but on the other hand, she's destroying this forest in the name of keeping her town thriving and so it's she's a really interesting character in how she's both good and bad in different aspects right so which which story has the best like eco-friendly story wrapped around it is it princess mononoke or is it final fantasy 7 <laughs> both have a pretty different take on it <laughs> <laughs> I don't notice music in a lot of things that I play or watch. Like, I'm aware that it happens, but it doesn't seem to affect me like it does some other people. You said the music was really good. Does any particular aspect of it stand out to you? Um, yeah, not not quite as much as, like, a Cowboy Bebop. It kind of goes with a more... It's uh, much more subtle, I think. Yeah, it's it's subtle, and uh, it's it's very good when you're actually listening to it, but it's it's more just kind of, an, you know, an orchestral music over the movie, but it's... You know, it doesn't maybe quite have the same personality, but it's well done and it's, it's you know, it fits <laughs> for every scene that it's in. Sure. If you had to rank this movie on a 1 to 10 scale, where does it slot in for you? I would maybe go with an 8. It's pretty high up there, but it's it's not perfect. Yeah, for me, it'd be like a 7, which is kind of my Mendoza line for it's a good thing like it didn't do much for me i didn't dislike any parts of it but it really it didn't capture my imagination the way i thought it would yeah would there be other anime movies that you would say would rank above it into the spider-verse i'm, I'm specifically japanese anime uh, yeah i don't like know if that qualifies as anime <laughs> like akira would you say akira is better Spirited than away that's everything i've seen that's all you've seen like would you say akira is better than prince i mean they're very different obviously right. yeah i really liked akira um i still think i would probably put mononoke above that okay i really like ninja scroll which oh, okay, is yeah. another anime classic yeah movie that i was considering this is, that was actually the very first anime movie that i yeah watched. I, pretty much same here i think yeah 
which that was especially at the time. I was a teenager when that yep. came out. I'm yeah. like, oh my God, there's so much blood. Anim- <laughs> animated boobs, yes. Yeah, I was like, this is, this is so much more mature than anything I'm watching. <laughs> Can't let my parents find this. <laughs> Brindsay, do you have any other questions on Mononoke or Studio Ghibli before we move on? No, I don't think so. It's It's been one of those blind spots that I've really wanted to address, and I was hoping to address it before this, but I, I, I'm definitely looking forward to when it's available on streaming. I can pay for a month of something and then watch a few of them and then feel like it's feel like I've gotten my money's worth out of that experience. It is a great gateway into anime. I appreciate your choice on it, choice of it for this show, Scott. Any other closing thoughts on Mononoke? Yeah. Um, well, just being kind of a Studio Ghibli movie, it it definitely has a very different feel than your typical anime, which is kind of another reason that I chose it to. From the two Studio Ghibli films I've seen, he's got kind of a kooky art style at times, and I really dig that. Like, I yeah. think it's very unique and almost playful, and just kind of, it's kind of like a playful, strange type of vibe. Yeah, definitely. Uh, his, his art style is very distinct, and I mean, there's a reason why he's kind of known as the Walt Disney of <coughs> Japan, because his his stories, he tries to make them relatable to everyone, mm-hmm. which is why I think they you know garner such a huge audience. Well, and I hear that there's some really good documentaries about him and how he runs his studio and how he creates that are really interesting, I've heard too, to ch- kind of check out online. It's kind of behind his process and sort of his whole philosophy on life and art and yeah, everything is a, really cool he's a super interesting character yeah and he i know he's a, a believer in shinto which is a old japanese religion which kind of you can see it, it it affects a lot of the works that he does which shinto kind of uh is a religion that that there are you know gods or spirits in everything and they all kind of share an interconnectedness and so certain things like like you know a tree will have intrinsic value because you know maybe there's a forest spirit in it it's not just a thing that gives us oxygen you know it's like there's there's a value to the the tree itself and so you can kind of see that in a lot of the the movies that he makes yeah i can definitely see the connection from the two i've seen mm-hmm. princess mononoke a good gateway to anime before we move on we would like to thank our sponsor premier health premier health has solutions for back pain neck pain, car accident and work injuries, and more. We suggest seeing Dr. Camille in Golden Valley, Minnesota. Learn more at PremierHealthMN.com. That's PremierHealthMN.com. Next up, we're going to do a top five list. And for the second time in this show's 22-episode history, I'm going to turn over the reins. Here are Tom Awesome's top five anime characters, according to Scott. Go nuts, my friend. It's time now for... Tom Awesome's Top 5 Countdown. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Okay, so Scott Awesome's Top 5 Anime <laughs> Characters. <laughs> Love it. Um, Everyone right. wants a mistress with the same last I, name, right? <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't really sure how to to assemble this list I just the good kinda, news is i gave you almost no direction i'm like hey do you yeah. want to do this thing <laughs> right so i wasn't sure if these are the best are these my favorite i just kind of assembled the top five what i thought those were and i kind of so wanted are they the best of, or are they your favorite yeah you know i don't or a know hybrid of the just, two just 
take it. These are all cool characters. <laughs> Scott's top five cool characters. All not, right. Maybe not in any particular order either. I didn't really. Oh no, it's an order or, list. Okay. Okay. <laughs> hang on. Let me. Let me. Uh, think about this real quick then. All right, got it. Number five. Okay, so number five, um, I'm going to go with Hiei from Yu Yu Hakusho. I don't know, I don't know if either of you are familiar with that at I've all. I've seen a couple of random okay. episodes on Adult Last Swim year? way back when. Yeah, that was uh, an, an Adult <laughs> Swim or Cartoon Network yeah, one yeah. at least. Yeah. Um, yeah, so What makes him interesting? He is uh, a kind of ninja demon character or well i mean he's he's a demon he just kind of looks like a ninja he carries a katana and he's lightning fast you know moves and slices faster than the eye can see um like the ishvaran i don't know what that is full metal alchemist oh is, is the ishvalan yeah yeah what did i say ishvaran yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay i'm gonna have to work on uh the things that i say for future episodes <laughs> That's all right. We'll get to Full Metal Alchemist in a minute. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so he largely uh, is so cool, I think, because of his aesthetics being, you know, well, he's kind of an edgy character. Uh, And he's, I think he's a good example of a character who is a rival to the main character and is a... uh, he he has a positive character arc and he's you know he's never he never really lightens up he's always kind of got a harsh attitude but he he softens up to the main character and and kind of grows as the story progresses and there might be examples better examples of other characters that do that but but this is our list so it's definitive number 5 <laughs> right yeah but but they're not as cool as he is, so yeah. <laughs> name of the show one more time uh yu yu hakusho worth looking up now Oh yeah, definitely. It's it definitely has an older feel. It I think was made in the late '80s or early '90s. It's a very old show, but mm-hmm. but I still think it it does hold up and is definitely one of my favorites. Awesome. Number four on the list. Number four is Shikamaru from Naruto. Naruto. <laughs> I am Naruto. aware of that franchise. Yeah, probably not. Started as a manga, right? Uh, yeah, I, the majority of anime start off as mangas. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Huh. Hey, I learned something on my own show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he, there, there are a lot of characters in Naruto. Mm-hmm. And uh, he is one that did not stand out to me at the beginning of the show at all. I don't know, Joey. Are you which, which character is he again? Uh, he is, um, he has brown hair and kind of a ponytail that, is almost like a top knot not quite but okay it goes you know i don't know there's nothing really special about his outfit mm-hmm. he's he's just kind of bland and that kind of fits into his personality okay but um his his ability is like you know a lot of the the ninjas in naruto have special abilities and his is at least when the show starts is he if he steps on your shadow he like freezes you or you know you mimic his movements then he kind of takes control of your body okay uh which is not really the greatest ability but the thing that's interesting about shikamaru is he is actually like super genius intelligence level but he's he's extremely lazy at the same time (laughs) which I love that dynamic Mm -hmm. of this this guy that has so much potential to do all this you know anything he wants but he just doesn't give a crap about anything (laughs) and uh, sherlock holmes's brother yeah like mycroft (laughs) he uh and his 
like in, in when he was going through ninja school, they uh, he was you know very often at the lower end of test scores and was you know almost failing all of his classes. And it wasn't until one of his teachers took an interest in him and decided to challenge him to a series of games that were actually you know tests to measure his intelligence but they disguised him as games uh-huh. so that he would take an interest in him and they discovered holy crap this this kid's like the smartest person in the village huh. <laughs> and uh so even even in his um in his ability it's kind of boring and bland but he uses it in such interesting ways and he's he's all about outsmarting his opponents hmm. and a lot of his fights are some of the most interesting to watch because of that dynamic is there's there's really nothing interesting about the character until you start figuring out like what's going on in his head yeah interesting sounds very interesting <clears throat> number three on the list uh number three is asuka langley soryu from <laughs> neon genesis evangelion mm-hmm. this is one you've watched mm-hmm. yes i loved i loved i haven't watched any of the remake remake remakes but oh, the I original series uh, yeah, was fantastic I, right i've only watched the original as well uh she is i think such an interesting character to me because she's is so unlikable mm-hmm. <laughs> pretty much right off the bat uh she's you know you see her kind of from the perspective of shinji the main character yep. and she is like unfair and cruel mm-hmm. in the way that she treats shinji she's just you know an, an awful person and but then you, as the show progresses you really kind of get into what motivates all mm-hmm. of these characters and their backgrounds and that's when you kind of see like oh there's a reason she's acting the way she is yeah. and that that's kind of true of all the characters in the show mm-hmm. but she i found to be like especially broken yeah <laughs> and she she kind of has uh you know she she perceives herself to be superior to everyone mm-hmm. around her and her mother told her in, in the show, you know, they're, they're these kids that pilot these giant mech things. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was told that she was exceptional at it. And so when really there's an alternate reason to why, you know, these kids are able to mm-hmm. be the only ones that can pilot these mechs. But she, you know, when she, they do this, uh, a certain task and Shinji is able to do it better than she yep. is. She like breaks down and she cannot figure out why she's like i'm i'm supposed to be superior i'm Mm -hmm. supposed to be the best and she like literally cannot handle it yeah and it's it's yeah it's it's a very bizarre show and i don't want to give too much of it away and there's so many times where like these rivals to the main character it's sometimes it's hard to like them but it's when you sort of see the reasoning of of why she's like i should be better i don't know why i'm not And, and and how that just like consumes her you feel bad for her yeah. you know yeah there's definitely pity yes <laughs> that, for sure right when you it's like oh, she's so awful and no one can stand her but <laughs> then you see why and it's like oh it you know i really feel bad yeah, for her she yeah. got kind of a crap hand mm-hmm. super intriguing uh, <laughs> brings us to number one on the list uh number yeah. two on the yeah, list yeah there you go <laughs> <laughs> glad somebody's keeping track <laughs> Uh, so number two is Vash the Stampede. Yeah, Trigun. Trigun. 
<clears throat> I've never seen Trigon. I have uh, Casper's copy of it downstairs, but I haven't cracked it open yet. Yeah, I would definitely recommend it. It's a lot of fun to it. watch. <clears throat> yep. Yeah, I went back and just checked out a few scenes before doing this just to kind of recap, and it's it's still just a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. It's a really fun series. Vash the Stampede. Is this one person, or is it like a herd of cattle? <laughs> <laughs> it's one person, named so because when he blows through a town, he leaves it a wreck, and there's a trail of bodies and buildings behind him but the there's there's kind of a legend to this character which doesn't actually match up to the actual character which is what makes him so interesting mm-hmm. he's he's an outlaw who has a uh, a bounty of what is it 60 billion, 60 billion double, double dollars, dollars yep. sunset, which double dollars are the currency of the world and that's <laughs> that's just cool <laughs> um so he he's kind of built up, you know, as this this unbeatable outlaw who's, you know, just he slaughters people and he's impossible to catch, and that's kind of true. But he doesn't he doesn't actually kill people. And when there's a group of uh, insurance girls or a pair of insurance girls that follow him around and are trying to, uh, I don't know, mitigate they, basically they, his damages so that they have to pay out less. Their company uh, has to pay out less money. Right. Yeah. So, and so and so they're trying to find out if this guy actually is Vash the Stampede, this legendary outlaw, and th- he he acts like such an idiot when they finally come across huh. him. A goofball, yeah. Yeah, he's he's a just complete goofball weirdo and like <laughs> makes it through every situation by the skin of his teeth, <laughs> you know. Not not at all like the the legend that they've been hearing about. Mm-hmm. And that's that's one of the things that really makes him so interesting. And as you kind of go deeper into the anime, I'm not going to spoil too much of it, but you kind of find out that, yeah, he's, he's really actually a badass, Mm -hmm. but, and he has this principle of no one, he he won't take any life or he does whatever he can to try to prevent the loss of life. And he kind of sounds like he isn't very good at his principle. No, he, he'll make it out of situations with no one dying. It's like the legend is overblown of him, you know, killing people and him being being vicious. That's that's kind of his disguise, too, is he creates this like idiotic persona, Mm -hmm. which, you know, kind of helps him fly under the radar a lot of the time. So because he doesn't match the the description of this like legendary murder machine. Yes. Yep. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Trigods is amazing. Yeah. I will have to check it out. But. Definitely after the rest of Full Metal Alchemist. Number one on the list. Number one on the list, I went with Frieza from Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> Which one is Frieza again? <laughs> Frieza is the uh, little alien guy with the long tail. I thought um, that was Goku. And then Gohan. <laughs> <laughs> I see okay. what you're saying. Yeah, you know, that's that's fair, actually. But <laughs> I know who Piccolo is. Right. And Cell. And uh, Creon. Krillin. Krillin, yeah. <laughs> Good lord. <laughs> sure. If I had to take a drink every time I mispronounce something this episode, I would be fucking hammered. Yeah, there's a reason why you invited other people on for that anime Tom's episode. not good with Japanese culture. Noted. <laughs> um, Sorry, Frieza. Isn't he the antagonist? Yeah, he... Like Goku's rival? Right. He originally was supposed to be the the final main villain of the Dragon Ball Z saga. But then, of course, they decided to continue it after it became a success, and for like a thousand again. years, yeah, <laughs> they, they just kept continuing it and continuing it. But uh, I, when Akira Toriyama was 
first writing it, he wrote Frieza in as like the main final villain. And I think they did, he did such a good job with this character. And I, I, you know, villain characters are so important to a good story, which is why I wanted to include him on the list and especially put him so high, I guess. Uh, Some would say at the pinnacle. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he's, I think he's a really good example of a flat arc character and he's, he's a, a negative flat arc character, which, you know, you have Goku on the one hand, who's, uh, a positive flat arc character, you know, in explain most, flat arc. Okay. So in most, uh, stories, good guy is good and does good things. Well, yeah, but I mean, like in most, in most stories you have a, a positive arc character, which is they, uh, you know, start off with a fundamental flaw, and over the period of the story, they come oh. to an understanding and they grow as mm-hmm. a character. With a flat art character, they don't really change throughout the story. And so, like with Goku, he's he's he starts off with the same worldview as he does at the end of Dragon Ball, which he's you know he's good. There's People are inherently good, and he changes people around him who might not originally think so good to become better people. So so their arc is more about how they're consistent and static, and they affect the people around them. And so with Frieza, he is the antithesis of Goku because he's a negative flat art character. And he... He affects everyone around him for the worse. <laughs> like he is unyielding in his cruelty and his evilness, <laughs> and uh, and like with it's it's fitting that he comes up to Goku at the point in the story that he does because they they are neither one of them is really willing to change and that's kind of the ultimate conflict. Mm-hmm. You, they like, they do a lot of foreshadowing with both of these characters coming up to this point. And when they finally clash, neither one of them is willing to compromise in their values at all. Even so to the point where finally Goku beats Frieza and he is almost going to, you know, leave him for dead. And Goku turns around and because of who he is, he gives a little bit of his energy to Frieza and tries to help him survive and Frieza being who he is takes that energy and tries to kill Goku with it (laughs) (laughs) and so it's 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 such a I I just think he's such a well-written character that stays true to who he is no matter what the situation and not a lot of characters will do that like you'll find some writers maybe go back and forget like how this character is supposed to be written. And with Frieza, they always do a good job of going, no, he's pure evil all the time. He's horrible. <laughs> and I love him for it. That's awesome. And that's a good point about villains playing such an important role in an engaging story. That is our top five list for Scott's favorite anime characters. What did we miss? <coughs> Tweet your thoughts to Tom Sidlachik OIO. Thank you for the note on that I changed that, Joey. <laughs> that carries over from show to show. Oh, okay. Right. Tweet your thoughts at Tom Sidlogic OIO on Twitter or share them on Instagram or hit Joey up at Hobbybox Burns on Twitter. Uh, Joey, you have any thoughts on the list before no, we move on? I, I like a lot of those. I mean, Vasha Stampede was the one I was hoping was going to be on there because it's just he's so such an interesting character. And then 
the way that like you get his backstory as it goes through the entire show is just really interesting. In general, Trigun just goes lots of places I wasn't expecting it to go. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I would highly recommend. That would be my takeaway is I would highly recommend Trigun to anybody. That seemed like a good list. I want to go watch all of those characters now. <laughs> nice work, Scott. Good luck with that. <laughs> Our final topic today is another TV show based on a popular manga. Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood came out in 2009, making it the newest thing we covered today. It follows two brothers on a quest to restore their bodies. I'm going to do my best to recap the story here. They are alchemists, and within the fiction, that means that they can take elements and transmute them into other things. Like they can uh, harness stone to make a bridge to something they want to tackle or put a wall up in front of somebody. The older brother, Edward Elric, has a mechanical arm and leg, and the younger brother, Alphonse, is a soul bonded to a suit of armor. I think I captured kind of the main yep. points there. Scott, why do we choose Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood for this show? Uh, well, a big part of the reason that I chose it was because I just finished watching it recently. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that works. Yeah. <laughs> so it's somewhat fresh in my memory. Also, it's really good. Yeah, yeah. And also, it's yeah, it's really good, and I wanted to talk about it. And why Brotherhood over the original <laughs> series? Because there is a Full Metal Alchemist that aired sometime before. Why do we choose Brotherhood? Right. So going Same back answer? to the... What's that? Same answer? Or? <laughs> uh, no. Well, remember how I said that most anime start off as a manga? Mm-hmm. So... Uh, when they made uh, this one too, uh, you know, Full Metal Alchemist started out as a manga, uh, which for those who don't know is basically just a Japanese comic book. Mm-hmm. That reads from right to left. Well, yeah, there's that too. Um, but hey, I contributed. To this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Good job, Tom. Thanks, uh, Scott. So the original Full Metal Alchemist anime uh, did not stay very close to the manga. And so well, outside of maybe the first, you know, 12, 13 episodes well, or they, so. They caught up to where the manga was, right? The legend that I heard from my wife is that they caught up to where the original manga was, and then they had to go Game of Thrones and take it in their own direction. Right. I think, yeah, that had something to do with it. So they, uh, it, it's kind of a little bit of a different take. And so Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood being remade so much longer after the original one came out, you know, they had the, the manga to draw from. And it's really kind of a strange thing that an anime is you know does well i suppose it's not for a lot of movies and stuff but i haven't seen a lot of series that retell the same story again like that's a mm-hmm. lot of work for mm-hmm. you know five seasons of a show basically um but so brotherhood follows much more closely to the manga and it's for i think a lot of fans view it as more true to the story because i feel like the original or the original full metal alchemist was very good especially the beginning i think it told the beginning a little bit better hmm. and there's a reason for that but overall i think it kind of started to veer off and i wasn't really sure where it was going towards the end and i'm not sure it knew where it was going huh. and so i think kind of uh, like game of thrones <laughs> <laughs> god damn yeah. you george r. r martin write another book for christ's sake <laughs> weirdly enough when you lose the source material and have people come in and try to just wrap up a story that they didn't start yep. it goes off the rails yeah. <laughs> unless you're brandon sanderson and it's the wheel of time but I'm, continue my man yeah yeah so so what a there are five parts to this anime. For this discussion, we're just focusing on the first part, uh, largely because there's only so much time to prep for shows. <laughs> what are our thoughts on the first part? Joey, do you want to lead us off? No, actually. Because <laughs> my point dovetails right off of yours. <laughs> I'll start. One of the things that stands out to me is the weight of some of the episodes. 
Some of the early episodes center on heavy themes like the misuse of religious power, the sacrifices we make for our career, and just really heavy topics. Also, some characters die. Yeah, I I think that was, to me, one of the greatest strengths of this first, at least the first part of this show, is that it has some really heavy moments. But there's so many other different areas where the characters, all of the characters are given opportunities to be comedic relief and have lighter moments. And that just sort of endears you more and more to them. And so then when it builds up to the point where they make this, are trying to make this epic sort of risk in order to succeed and then die and maybe fail at that to some extent is just so interesting. And then other character's reaction to the loss of that character or the strife that these characters are going through is just really, I think, interesting. And I think one of the other things that they do really well, and when you're talking about like the manga, is bringing back some of the manga aspects to the show, especially it's usually to add a lighthearted flair, like showing their reactions in like kind of a more manga reaction sort of style, I think is really interesting. And it just sort of helps to keep the show fresh as you're going through it and to offset some of those really deep and dark themes that do come up. I mean, cause the brothers, the brothers whole like essence of being and, and their whole like main eternal screw up that they made when they first started messing around with alchemy is really sort of the deep setting of the entire series. Yeah. And let's talk about that for just a moment. And alchem- within the fiction within the world there there's one taboo with alchemy you cannot create human life no matter what you do you can't create human life and the elric brothers tried to bring their mother back to life and Mm -hmm. that's why edward lost his arm and his leg and alphonse lost his entire physical body yeah and i think it's just and it's fascinating because they they the first few episodes they layer in bits and pieces of that happening until they get to, I think it was like episode four or five, where you actually get to see the process that they tried to go through. Mm-hmm. And then what happens in that process that makes Ed so powerful with alchemy. And then when he meets the, his, te- when they go back to meet his teacher later on and they have that connection that they both tried to do that same thing and both ended up meeting kind of that other side is really kind of fascinating. And, Helps to like because I think that was one of the more effective episodes in the first part. Um, was when the teacher cuts them loose because they had that shared experience? Yeah, and yeah. it's so it, it's just so interesting, kind of like that bonding that she has with them, and then kind of how those two kids end up being her kid, which was how she, what she was trying to bring back and couldn't, mm-hmm. and, and and it's just that whole, the way that all of that kind of ropes together is really interesting and, and fascinating, and adds just another level to the dynamics of all of the aspects of the show, sort of those two characters as being the lead characters, and how the magic system works, and the downfalls of the magic system. It just does a really good job of integrating all those things and showing that, and so I think that was really well done. And Scott, if you can separate your thoughts here, focus just on part one, your impressions of part one, and then your impressions of the entire series. I, I really liked the beginning, like setting up the the world is always one of the mm-hmm. most interesting parts of a story. Again, since I watched the original uh, Full Metal Alchemist, I don't know, did either of you watch the no. original mm-hmm. at all? No, okay. Some of it is almost shot for shot the same, 
But I think they, in the pacing, they kind of did it a little bit better in the original one. Okay. Uh, but just because, like, in this one, I think they go, we, you know, we kind of told this before. We kind of want to hurry through it so that we can get to the parts that we haven't done before. Gotcha. Um, but overall, it's it's still done really well. And the, uh, I, I don't want to call it magic because they treat it like a science. Mm-hmm. And, like, That's science, true. Science is a very important part of this show. Uh, you know, like there are there are rules and physical laws of nature that yeah, like that apply to alchemy. When they're transmuting something, you need so much of an input to make so much of an output. You need so much of a raw element to turn it into something else. Mm-hmm. Very right. precise. Well, and then also yeah, looking at like the Philosopher's Stone and kind of the secret behind what it takes to make a Philosopher's Stone and how that was like this huge MacGuffin for the brothers. It's like, oh, we want to do this. And then when they find out the reality of it, it's like, we don't want anything to do with this, yeah. you yeah. know? It's just really cool how that, how that like works into it too. Yeah, because there's the law of equivalent exchange, mm-hmm. which is kind of the main fundamental law of alchemy. Yeah, you can't you can't get more than you put in when you're transmuting something. And the kind of the secret with the philosophy stone is they kind of show fairly early is that it takes human souls yep. to create a philosophy stone or philosopher stone, and. Uh, they so they would be able to use this the, well i don't know did we mention that the brother's whole goal is to try to restore their physical bodies right or at least get their bodies back at least uh alphonse's for sure right because yes so alphonse was uh he had his soul bonded to a suit of armor as they were trying to bring their mother back to life so going back to the philosopher's stone they they discovered that it takes human souls and that's that's why the philosopher's stone can kind of exceed the rules or the laws of alchemy and yeah then they they realize that there are people's souls in that stone mm-hmm. and if they use it they basically dissolve their souls yeah and so that's why they decide yeah we don't want to use this mm-hmm. there has to be another way that we can try to get our bodies back and so it's it's yeah they they put a lot of faith in science and then they kind of realized that, you know, even that doesn't have all the answers for them. It, 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 there mm-hmm. is definitely a science versus religion aspect of it. And it's, but it doesn't do it in the typical way that you might think. It's, I think as the story progresses, you kind of see that whichever philosophy you stick to, if you dogmatically follow one versus the other, it's, you know, it doesn't necessarily work out. It's, you should kind of be a little bit more flexible in your worldviews, which is, I think, kind of the message that they're they're giving with it. And then there's there's even other areas nearby, like the uh, kind of Asian inspired alkahestry. They it's it's like they their country has a, a different take on alchemy, which I mean, you guys probably haven't gotten mm-hmm. to that point yet. But it's they they kind of use alchemy for healing, but they call it alkahestry, and it's huh. like a different philosophy on alchemy. And it just kind of throws another uh, like worldview into the mix. Interesting. What elements of the show stick out with us? We've touched on some of them already. I love the characters in the show. Mm-hmm. I really like the Elric brothers. They are young kids and they are prodigies within the alchemical world. I think Alphonse is 14 and Edward must be 16-ish. Yeah, Something like that, yeah. they're a year apart. Yep. Yeah, they're both pretty young kids. Uh, I love their mechanic, Winry, who made makes uh, Edward's arm and leg. And I think the characters are all so different and interesting. It's one of the things that really draws me to the show. Yeah, also... 
some of the ways that they use alchemy uh as well so also early on they get recruited by the military because the well the whole setting of the show takes place in kind of a uh like early uh east german setting it's you know it's not germany it's uh but there is a fuhrer there yeah, is a right, fuhrer right. which it's, it's hard to think that without feeling like a nazi <laughs> right. well they're actually kind of supposed to have a little bit of nazi tendencies mm-hmm. because you know their military the genocide well yeah, yeah right yeah. their military invades uh you know other countries yep. and takes over and they use their superior military power to kind of enforce their will and uh but it's you know it's not supposed to be exactly germany it's a country called amestris and uh but it, it's it's everything looks kind of like a uh, World War One, you know, East Germany mm-hmm. look in from the architecture to the clothing, and it oddly made me really want to play Valkyria Chronicles. Yes. I was just <laughs> going to say the same thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's very much that. Like same, that's what I was getting while watching it. Is yeah, it's, it's like I really want to play that. <laughs> yeah, great game, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that's what I've heard. I've never played it. I have. I have the remastered version on PS4. I just need to. Give it a shot sometime. Yeah, it holds up. I played it just a few years ago, even though that game came out like a decade yeah, or more ages, than a decade yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah it's, it's still really good. Yeah, I played it maybe five years ago, just before I started OIO, actually. Uh, the characters also, on top of that, I think are, are a real, real strong point. And I think also because even when you have super serious characters, they still have certain moments of levity. So, for instance, when they find out the truth about the Philosopher's Stone and they're all in the room and they're like, we have to keep this a secret. We can't tell anybody outside of here. And then all of a sudden the Fuhrer walks in (laughs) (laughs) and he's like, I know what you guys are talking about. Tell nobody. And then he just he sneaks out the window and he turns back. He's like, I just want a moment away from my bodyguard. And then like jumps out the window and they're just like all like looking at him. And it's like moments like that are so funny because otherwise up till that moment. Sure, the Fuhrer showed a little bit of levity, but they do that with all these different characters. But then the characters also go to these other levels, like Mustang, his reaction to one of the other characters' deaths and kind of the the levels he's getting ready to go to in order to try to avenge that is really interesting also. And so it's just there's so many dynamics and the way that they take even these side characters like Armstrong and give them these weird little quirks that just make them endearing as hell, you know, right? I think is just so much fun and, and really, really well done. And yeah, like how all the all the different members of the military use their alchemy in different yeah. ways. And it kind of gives a lot of their personality mm-hmm. to like Armstrong. He has strong arms. Well, yeah. he, I mean, he has strong arms, sure. But then he uses those strong arms to like punch things and as he punches it he transmutes what he's hitting into like it'll like he'll he'll take a concrete block and punch it and it'll turn into like a spike as it flies towards someone mm-hmm. or like when uh ed is transmuting something and like he'll he'll make a bat out of something mm-hmm. and he'll like he'll put his face on the end of it yeah yeah like yeah. It, it shapes into like a little statue look of his face yeah. or something like that and uh yeah just they they put so much personality into all of their abilities or like uh mustang being able to summon flames by snapping his finger except for when it's raining yeah (laughs) except for when it rains it's raining he's like useless whenever it's raining (laughs) well it's so interesting with the name of the show being full metal alchemist and one of the brothers is a suit of armor but he's not the full metal alchemist edward is i always thought that was just an interesting little and then they have fun with that because every time they go somewhere they think his brother's the full metal alchemist because he's in that suit of armor and he's like no and you're the full metal alchemist the little guy and he's like 
everyone gets all angry. It's so fun. Yeah. It is fun, but there are also serious moments in the show. And one of my favorite moments from the first part is the juxtaposition of the character funeral where everyone is all sad and solemn. And it's a really like touching scene. And then you flip to the other characters who have no awareness that this character died. And they're just riding on a train, having a gale time, yeah. ga- moving their chess pieces to where they need to be for the next scene. And I just, that juxtaposition really stuck with me yeah. out of the whole first part of the show. No, oh, yeah. yeah. I think they do a good job of kind of, letting the viewer breathe a little bit mm-hmm. after setting up a really heavy moment. They don't just dwell on it. And cause there are some really, really dark things that happen. I'm sure. And uh, you know, if, if they were to just focus on that too much, that would kind of just bring the mood down overall. Yeah. And like they, they want to emphasize these, these really dark, tragic things that happen, but then they kind of go, all right. And we'll uh, let you kind of take a deep breath and, you know, laugh a little bit in between. And that, that it just kind of makes it easier to digest. And sure. they do a really good job with spacing that out. I'd say overall, the tone of the show is very fun and not quite lighthearted, but it's very fun and very energetic. But it has these heavy, mm-hmm. heavy moments interspersed throughout. Yeah, it's very anime in that sense, because that's, I think, a lot of it's. So Full Metal Alchemist, more than the other two, I think, and for what I know of, like, Princess Mononoke, is kind of what popular anime is now in the sort of style and how it runs through it. And it is very manga, too, mm-hmm. uh, in the way that it, the the sort of the structure as it goes through it and stuff. So I think that that's interesting, whereas Cowboy Bebop is its is really its own thing. Um, and I would say Princess Mononoke, and like I said, I haven't watched it, is much more like a fine film compared to like an anime anime, you know what I mean? Right. Uh, which, which is fine. Cause it's, it's good to have that variety in these different items. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a gorgeous looking anime too, which they, they use a lot more modern techniques mm-hmm. than some of the older movies, but it's, even though it was 2009 that yeah. it came out, it still holds up as it looks incredible. Just, yeah. yeah as just one of the most beautiful looking animes that I've seen. Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts on Full Metal Alchemist? Well, I'm really looking forward to finishing it. I, I'm, I'm probably going to, that'll be my sort of go-to show, like, when I'm eating and need, like, you know, one or two or three 20-minute episodes to watch through. I'll probably keep watching through that till I finish it, so. Yeah, me too. I, I've watched and done a lot of things to prepare for shows of Outside of Overrated. Full Metal Alchemist might be my favorite thing that I've done to prep for a show. Oh, cool. Nice. So, an excellent choice, Scott. Yeah. I really appreciate it. you have uh, any thank you. closing thoughts on Alchemist? Uh. No, I don't think so. Um, I'm just, I'm glad that you guys are so excited to check out more. And I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. yeah pretty good is, starter point. This was a great gateway. If anyone is interested in having more anime shows, you know, drop us a line. I've said multiple ways that you can reach me. Before we close, what are a couple of go-to animes that you guys would recommend to people in general? So I, I would go back to Trigun is definitely one. It's a lot more approachable than I think some of the other anime that I enjoy because it's a lot more lighthearted and fun, but it still has some of that depth. Um, I think there are some congruences as it gets further on to like what full metal alchemist does mm-hmm. uh, in, in sort of the, having the really dark moments and then some of the levity and things like that. Still, I, I think one of the other ones that's definitely worth checking out is neon Genesis Evangelion. Uh, it, it maybe looks a tad dated now, but I think it still holds up and I think it's fun to watch even knowing that the ending just goes off the rails completely 
and that they've redone the ending multiple times and it still just <laughs> goes off the rails completely every single time just in a slightly different way. Yeah, it's a weird vortex it to is. get sucked down because it starts off so different than mm-hmm. it ends. And then one of my other one of my other favorite anime, which I mentioned during the Final Fantasy uh, episode, actually Kingsglaive. No, no, is uh, Nadia and the Secret of Blue Water, which was a series that they made before they made Neon Genesis Evangelion. Gainax made that. I think that that's really interesting. It still deals with some of the philosophical things that that Neon Genesis really gets into. But it does it in a much more approachable way. And I think the characters are a little bit more likable than any of them in Neon Genesis Evangelion. Uh, and it's really cool. I would I would highly recommend that. Uh, it's a little bit harder, I think, to find. I think it might be... I think it might be on Crunchyroll. I can't remember for sure, though. The fuck is Crunchyroll? Crunchyroll is an anime <laughs> streaming service. Um, it's either on that or Funimation now. Uh, one of those two, I think I saw it on. Um, but I would recommend that if you are looking at getting a little bit deeper into older anime. I haven't watched enough newer things to really give any recommendation on anything newer, though. Yeah, I've watched some newer stuff. Uh, definitely not as much as the mm-hmm. older anime nothing i could really recommend uh but as far as older anime yeah i'd say trigon is good is Uh, anime the opposite of video games is everything new suck no i think uh it's just you know there's a lot of stuff to watch now and it's hard to keep up with it all there's so much anime that's come out now whereas back in the day you know it was just a a limited amount and like you could kind of keep up with almost everything that came out in the yeah. US mm-hmm. because there just wasn't very much and now there's so much it's impossible yeah. to keep up it's with. It's so much easier to watch like things as they come out in Japan now um, because of like the fan subbing community and the internet and, and how much easier that stuff is. It's, it's easier to catch that right away. I guess one of the newer ones that I have seen is One Punch Man. Oh, uh, yes. I haven't seen all of it but I've <laughs> seen the first couple episodes and it's just Really crazy and far out and interesting. Yeah, I've uh, seen season one. That's a definitely a comedy anime. Yes. It's it's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of plays with some of the tropes that a mm-hmm. lot of other animes fall into, and uh, it's definitely worth a watch. Um, I would also recommend Death Note, which is much more serious mm-hmm. anime, but it's kind of, uh, if you like, you know, strategy and mental games, it's it's very interesting i don't want to i mean it's it's about a guy who any name that he writes in a notebook that person will die and uh so it's yeah kind of a dark premise (laughs) to begin with but uh it's like it follows how he decides to start using this and then you know a detective starts following him and tries is trying to catch him even though he has the detective's name down well, he doesn't know the detective's name. Oh, oh there's the twist. <laughs> yeah. So it, there's kind of a cat and mouse game going on there. I found that a really interesting watch. Uh, and also, I just got a... It's not typically considered anime, but I one thing that I really considered talking about for the show was Airbender, or the last Airbender, oh, Avatar. Avatar, the last Airbender. Phoenix loves the last Airbender. Yeah. I just got to give a little shout out to it because that's one of my favorite stories of all time and mm-hmm. it's you know it, it takes a lot of heavy inspiration from japanese anime so it's one of the few instances out. where the live action movie is better than the anime i've heard <laughs> <laughs> burns you beat me to the joke Sorry. <laughs> well my thanks to scott who picked our topics for the show and did the top five and really set the stage for this you did an awesome job dude thank you so much yeah, thank you next month Brian will be back to talk about Zelda, you know, God and internet willing. Maybe we'll even have a special guest. We'll see. 
<laughs> Thank you for listening to Outside is Overrated. Please review us on your favorite podcast platform and consider supporting our show on Patreon at patreon.com slash OIO. You can follow us one more time on social at TomSidLogicOIO on Twitter and Instagram at HobbyBoxBurns on Twitter. Scott is a very private person and doesn't want to connect with strangers on the internet. Facebook.com slash Outside is Overrated. You, you can get in touch with Scott on the reviews of his game. What's the name of the game again? Psycho Squirrels? Oh, yeah, Psycho Squirrels. See? So yeah, you can get in touch uh, with him there. Tweet with me at Intangible Games. Yeah, there we go. It's out there now. I think it's at Intangible Game. Singular. Noted. <laughs> at Intangible Game. We'll talk to you next month. Stay inside, kids. I hope the soundboard was plugged in. Me too. <laughs> No, I'm pretty sure it was fine. Try speaking, Scott, into the mic. Testing, testing, testies. 11.18, and uh, we are going to be discussing traffic, weather, and sports later today. And this is the beginning of our pledge drive, and... (laughs) We'll be passing the hat around. All the money goes directly into Tom's pocket. (laughs) Tom, Tom, you've heard that multiple times before from him, haven't you? Oh, God. All right, microphones are on. Is there anything we want to discuss before we start? No, I, I, I mean we're in a new, we're in new territory now. You're actually using the microphones you purchased. So. Yeah, there's a funny joke, Scott. What have you got? 